0: don't want to always just hear that you're the leader 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 for everything because what Moji and I have learned from our past three years here is that anyone can be a leader regardless of your role in a team. You're
1: listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse fields. From people in diplomacy to entertainment, from CEOs to student leaders, we feature people from all walks of life. It's all part of the mission. Here at the Piscina Leadership Institute, Hello,
2: and welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. I'm Rishi Shah, and I will be your host. Today, I am joined by Jacob Fritz, a junior biology major in the dual degree physical therapy program. In his free time, Jacob has helped as a physical therapy aide and is CPR and American Red Cross lifeguard certified. Additionally, he's a member of Blue Crew, where he gives tour guides and helps welcome the new members of the Seton Hall family. Most importantly, he has run the Arts and Sciences Interview Committee for the past two years and this year is helping to co-lead the selection initiative for the entire Busino Institute. I am also joined by Mojisola Adesanya, a third-year Social and Behavioral Sciences major with a concentration in Allied Health here at Seaton Hall. In her free time, she works as a dance instructor at Soul Expression of the School of the Arts, at CN Hall, Moji has been a resident assistant helping to foster community for first-year students in Aquinas Hall. Additionally, she works as a Blue Crew leader, assisting in tour guides, interest sessions, and more. Beyond the undergraduate campus, Moji serves as an intern in the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine's Office of Diversity and Equity, acting as a student coordinator for the MINDES program, which helps underrepresented minority high school students broaden their interest in studying medicine. Most importantly, Moji serves as a co-chair of the selection committee in the Bucino Leadership Institute and has served in this role for the past two years. Thank you for joining me, guys.
1: Thanks so much for having us, Rishi. Yeah,
2: thanks for having us. Before we get into any of the nitty-gritty, I'd really love to learn more about your Seton Hall journeys and your Bucino Leadership Institute journeys. You know, what caught your eye to them? How did you guys hear about Seton Hall, et cetera?
1: I can start with that. So for me, Seton is really a family thing. My brother went here and graduated and he's actually still a graduate assistant here at the university because he's getting his master's. And for me, honestly, I was drawn to the Bucino Leadership Institute because I'm obsessed with one-upping my brother. It wasn't offered to the entire university when he was here. But now that it was available to all students, I really thought I would hop on that opportunity just so that it could be something that I have under my belt. And it looked really interesting and
0: just different to apply to. Yeah, well, for me, I applied because of the physical therapy program. I wanted to go somewhere that had an accelerated program because I didn't want to do the extra year grad school or extra year undergraduate. And I didn't learn about the Leadership Institute until I got an email from Seton Hall stating that kind of stuff. Like, hey, this Leadership Institute, we're looking for more people. You're invited to apply. So I was like, yeah, why not? I did it. I got in. And it's it's been great since, honestly.
2: That is amazing to hear. And before we move on, I actually want to follow up with a question. As far as your um, uh, expectations uh, in regards to, you know, your dual degree program or, you know, the education you're pursuing in social and behavioral sciences, how have you felt Seton Hall's, I guess, best way to put it is academic strength is, or how much do you enjoy the classes here at Seton Hall?
1: I can start with that. So I actually came into Seton Hall as a biology major. And I had switched to social and behavioral sciences after my freshman year. And honestly, I think that was one of the best choices I made for myself. So social and behavioral sciences on the allied health track is a combination of biology, nursing, psychology, sociology, and anthropology courses. As someone who's interested in both medicine and the humanities, it was really just a great way for me to explore everything that I liked. The curriculum for this major in program is very, very fluid. And so students can help tailor it to anything that they're interested in. And so I've been able to have a really nice range of classes. The last semester, I took a class called Human Osteology that I didn't even hear about until I was an SOBS major. I'm also taking American Sign Language, and I'm still taking pre-med courses like physics, organic chemistry,
0: things like that. I'm jealous. Um, (laughs) Taking a lot of, you know, those hard science classes so far. That was basically my entire freshman and sophomore years. But now that I've brought in a lot of credits from high school, I'm able to take more classes that I get to like freely choose. So I took like reality television last semester, because why not? It was a fun class that I could take. And I really like taking classes based on religion and philosophy and stuff like that, just because I like thinking more and really trying to get a like, rationale behind things. So those classes that aren't necessarily part of my undergraduate degree, I've seem to enjoy more than, you know, those bio classes or those chemistry classes, which are cool, but sometimes can get redundant.
2: Right. And I love points that you guys made, especially focusing on not just one subject, but, you know,
0: really broadening
2: your your course load. And uh, another point you made, which is, you know, when considering making college decision, you know, bringing credits over from high school, you know, seeing your hard work come into fruition, you know, from there can really help and impact you, you know, take more courses and, you know, really broaden your horizon. Both of you have the opportunity to be in the Institute. I kind of want to touch base on what your overall experiences are with the Institute. If you had any expectations going in, are they met? Are they, um, have they changed over time? Just your overall uh, thoughts on the Institute.
1: So honestly, when Jacob and I joined the Institute, it was the Institute level was pretty new. So we didn't really know that what we were coming into, but we knew that we were going to be getting like priceless leadership, experience, mentorship, things like that. That's what we were kind of being pitched. And I really think that you get out what you put into the Institute. And I've seen that my expectations for what I'm getting is higher than what I thought I would be because I was, I didn't really know what I was coming into. And I was pleasantly surprised by this. I think that the Institute's provided some of my greatest areas of growth, um, So, for example, I help run the selection committee here on campus. And with the internship that I do, I evaluate high high school students' applications. And so that's just a really nice translatable skill.
0: So for me, kind of similar to what Moji just said, honestly, I applied to the institute thinking that it would be a great thing for me to get involved in, but also because I thought there was a scholarship attached to it. Uh, So I wanted some extra money to get into Seton Hall. But after I got into the program and realized, you know, you're not getting money for this, it's okay. I really found that there are a lot of strengths to being in this program. I really like how I've been able to take a lot of skills away from the program. And like Moji was saying, it wasn't really so set in foundations when we first joined. But now that we've been here for three years now and we have our first graduating class coming up this May, it's really exciting to see how each year is getting more and more defined and refined so that they're able to really pick up on the skills that we learn through Dr. Price's uh, word and also through the help of the, assist, uh, of the associate directors.
2: Right. And Moji, just quickly follow up on what you said. You know, you get out what you put in. Could you, I guess, talk about what that means in like a literal sense?
1: Yeah. And so I'll get into like the nitty gritty of what I mean by that, because I say this to anybody that's interested in the program, because it does require some additional work. You kind of know that getting into it. We knew that getting into this program, it was a zero credit class. You wouldn't be getting graded for anything that you're doing. But you can still, you still get a lot of value out of it, even though you're not going to leave with a grade. Um, And I feel like for a lot of high caliber students, not having a grade is something that's very different. But if anything, it's good. The Institute provides a lot of really great areas for growth. And that's the thing that we focus on the most is the growth of the student as a leader and not just like getting an A in the class. I know students in the Institute that don't put in as much. And then they kind of complain about it, saying that they're not getting anything out of it. But you get out what you put in. By being involved with initiatives and being involved in the program and your interdisciplinary teams, you can get really valuable skills. And even being close with your ADs is a really great way to build connections in whatever industry you're interested in.
2: I really love that point because oftentimes when we're studying, we really are focused on our homework, the grade Impressing teachers, etc., for letter of recommendations, but from the way you guys describe it, this sounds more of a investment in yourself, and you can't really put a price in that, and you can't put a grade in that. And while it may not show, it will show in your outlook and perspective on life, and the way you approach things, and being a complete human, and you know, investing in yourself and becoming better. That's really important because from college, we're going to go in the workforce and they want humans. They don't just want, you know, robots and grades. Right. So I really, really love that point.
0: Could you guys maybe talk about a specific experience that like really stands out to you? I mean, I can take that one first. One of the best things that I've gotten out of these two is probably my uh, relationship with my mentor. Uh, Shout out to Jeff Copel, Love that guy. (laughs) He really helped to make me a better person in a lot of ways I was able to take away a lot from the meetings that I had with him, and while it was only for five meetings throughout the course of, I would say, seven, eight months, it was really worth it because I got to learn more about myself. I got to learn how to reestablish uh, foundations that I thought had been you know set in stone. I was able to alter my point of view and a lot of ways of thinking, and not only change myself as a leader, which is what the whole point of it was, but also just as an individual, which I think is... that. I take away more from that than I would ever from just strictly being a leader. Uh, So I really thank the Leadership Institute for giving me, you know, him as a resource and now I have him to look out to if I need anything else like the rest of my life.
1: That's fantastic. And so for me, one experience that really stuck out to me, and I even talk about this on tour when I talk about the Institute, is my freshman year IDT. So my freshman year interdisciplinary team, our project was revamping the Institute's selection process. And funny enough, I helped revamp it. Now I'm here helping run it. And I think it's just really great how the changes that we pitched actually got implemented. So part of my IDT's plan was to have a Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion committee in the institute, just so that students of color and students from all backgrounds can feel more included and seen, even as early as 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 early as the time that they're applying. And it was after our interdisciplinary team, a Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee was established in the Institute, and I was one of the people that helped pitch a new selection process. And now I'm helping run that new selection process. So it's just a really great way to see how my idea as a freshman got translated into what I did my sophomore year, and now it's even being better defined in my junior year.
2: I really love how you guys touched on different things because that really leads into my next question in that the Institute often preaches its pillars and then works on applying those pillars. And then we have workshops and projects and mentors, etc. Is there any one aspect in the Institute that you have come to appreciate the most or is the most important to you and why?
1: Literally Dr. Kaiser. I love him so much. Dr. Kaiser is my favorite part about the whole Institute just because he really cares about the arts and science cohort. He has a really great relationship with pretty much everyone in the cohort. And he will go above and beyond to do anything to help you. So, for example, I expressed an interest to him that I was interested in going into higher education as a career. And every time I talk to him, he's like, "Hey, did you talk to this person about higher ed because you want to do that?" At open houses, while I'm mingling, he'll pull me aside and he'd be like, "Hey, this is my buddy. He works in higher ed. You should talk to him. You should mingle." And he's a, he's just a really phenomenal resource. My favorite thing our freshman year was our luncheon learns pre COVID. Miss it so much. But he would cater lunch. From like local restaurants, he would have a guest speaker come in, and it's always going to be someone that's that can speak to the college of arts and sciences and the students and the careers that are in this. And it was just a really nice experience to bring us together as a cohort
0: and grow. Yeah, my favorite things were those lunches too. I would have to say. No, I'm just kidding. I would probably say <laughs> no. I know. I mean, they were really, really good. <laughs> Shout out to anywhere in South Orange that catered. I would have to say that my favorite like thing that I've taken away from this is probably the relationships just overall, whether it be between me and Dr. Kaiser, who I've gotten really close to as well, me and the other peers in my cohort, uh, like Moji and I talk outside of class too, we both work together at Blue Crew, so it's really easy to like make those connections at work, but also between other cohorts that I would never really have gotten to know outside the classroom, because a lot of my classes focus on, you know, those hard sciences like I was talking about earlier, biology, chemistry, physics, and a lot of the other majors that we have represented in the institute don't have to take those classes. So I would never have interacted with them outside of that. But I made friends in the nursing cohort, in the diplo cohort, in the education cohorts. So it's been really, really cool to see how this institute brought us all together. Whereas if I wasn't in it or none of us were in it, then we would never really have met outside of the classroom.
2: Connecting with like-motivated minds and connecting with the real world it sounds like a recipe for success in, you know, entering the real world. So I love it. Comparing your leadership skills from before entering the Bucino Leadership Institute to now, do you guys see any changes, improvement or not, maybe a change in perspective? And do you see any sort of translation of these developed skills to the real world for you guys?
0: I think one thing for me, at least, is probably confidence in myself. Not to say that I wasn't confident in myself freshman year, but I've definitely matured more in my confidence level, and now I'm able to use that in any part of my life. I use that as a physical therapy aid this past year. I use it now at work, Blue Crew member, emoji, but I also will use it in my personal life, whether it be around my friends, my family, anyone like that. I would say that I've improved in a lot of ways, and I've gained a lot of these skills only because I was ex- like exposed to all this stuff. And through what Dr. Price has taught us and through learning about the pillars and whatnot, I've been able to really dramatically, like, change my way of thinking. And I think it's helped me for the better.
1: I also think that I see a complete change in the emoji that, like, maybe graduated high school and started school at Seton Hall in, like, fall 2019. It feels like forever ago. But... Yeah, I've changed for the better, for sure. I've changed as a leader. My perception of what a leader is has changed. Because I was the kind of person in high school, for doing a group project, I'll just do the whole project. But I've learned how to delegate. I've learned my role in a team. I've grown in my confidence as a leader and in my ability to take things on. I feel like with the skills that I've learned, it, again, I was able to translate that into my internship. I got experience in undergraduate admissions as a as an undergraduate student, which is just really cool. And I even like I'm involved in different student clubs and organizations on campus, bringing what I did in the Institute into my RA interview was another thing that I was able to do. So it's just like little things that I can take from the Institute to connect it to other things that I do on campus and off campus. And I plan to take all this into the workforce.
2: I really appreciate the point you made about, you know, doing a whole group project alone, whereas now you will rely on a team. And I will touch on that later in terms of the selection committee. So speaking of, if this is your first year in the committee, you know, what interested you in the committee? If you're coming back to the committee, why? Why come back?
1: So this is my, I guess, third year being involved in selection in some way, shape, or form. My freshman year, I was on the interview committee, so I was interviewing prospective students. Last year was my first year being a co-lead for the selection committee. I was working with Nick Debari. Great person. He works in admissions now. I think like I see the selection committee as my baby. <laughs> it's something that I was really, really proud of having. I think me my year doing with Nick Deberry was like the first year that it was it was it was a new way to review applications. And so me and Nick helped like pioneer this new way to review applications with the pod system and everything. And I just thought as my baby, I was offered to do it again this year. And I was like, absolutely, like hands down on the table, there's no way I'm not going to do it. It's something that I'm proud of. It's something that I'm happy that I was able to make my mark with and just something that I'm incredibly proud of.
0: Yeah. So like Moji, I was a part of the Arts and Sciences Selection Committee freshman year. I think there were only seven of us on that team. And it was only interviewing maybe 50 applicants because we didn't have that many freshman years since it was still a brand new program. Sophomore year, I led the Arts and Sciences Interview Committee and I was also part of the selection committee, I was one of the pod leaders, so I was helping to read applications, then later I would help to schedule all the interviews and stuff like that. This year, I'm helping Moji to co-lead the selection committee, as well as leading the arts and sciences cohorts committee. Last year we had to deal with 137 applications just at arts and sciences, so I dealt with that many interviews, and this year I'm probably going to be dealing with over 150 I'm guessing by the time the applications are done being through. But I was really invested in it because I like having a say in who joins the Institute. I think I like to think of myself as a good judge of character, whether it be through reading something or whether it be through interacting, you know, talking to the person. And I think the interview stage is the most pivotal point of that, because you can be a great writer, but you may not profess what you like write down in the way that you speak to someone else or interact with someone else, which is where I think the interviews really come into like fruition because they're such important. They show your character right through the screen, because a lot of times we are doing, you know, the Zoom calls just because it's easier for a lot of the students. But I like being a part of the whole process because I think that the words on, you know, the essays that you write are also very important to proving you are as a person. And I like being able to help out with that. And now I see it as kind of like my stepchild, you know, I'm helping to uh, to help it grow, hopefully become better over the next couple of years. I really was alarmed when you guys
2: you know talked about how these applicants are doubling tripling in numbers how do you guys handle that do you have people that work with you or if it's just the two of you you know how do you find that balance between you know your own schoolwork, your own personal growth
0: and all these applicants if it was just the two of us i probably wouldn't be in school anymore i probably would have dropped out because it's just too much to do alone so thankfully this year we have about 50 people in our selection committee we have 16 pods as of right now with three people each. So again, right around that 50 number, the, basically the pods are in charge of reading a certain number of, a- of applications that we send them for the week and then getting back to us by the end of the week with scores on the three essays that they have to read uh, for each applicant. And then after that, me emoji will go and basically wrap like tally up all the numbers, see the point system that we have, and then send it to the cohorts who will then go to the interview stages of uh, process. So, For us, we're really just the numbers person. We're kind of just the grab and the go. And then it really gets onto the nitty gritty when we send it out to the individual cohorts. But thankfully, we do have a really great team and they've really been on top of things lately.
2: With your team, you are the leader of those teams. And oftentimes people in new roles may find trouble with some aspect of managing those teams. For you guys, have you found any challenges in terms of, maybe receiving or giving criticism to the team, running meetings, planning, etc. Anything like that?
1: So I can speak to this and my experience in the selection committee last year. So last year, it was a little bit much. I was also a sophomore trying to tell everybody else what to do. So I can imagine that I wouldn't have the most respect. But even outside of respect, people just get busy. People have lives outside of this. And so I learned how to just be more on top of people And I feel like that's a skill that's going to help me with management, especially at, like, these are my peers, these are my friends, these are people that I have class with. And again, these are people that are older than me. And I have to get back to them probably a week after I sent them their applications to review. I'm like, hey, it's been a while, still waiting on this. And I know there was one person that was just very late with getting their things back. And at at a certain point, you just have to be really honest with them and really upfront with them. At some point, I just had to take this person's applications and review them myself just for to get things done and to get the rest of the process moving. For receiving, giving criticism, I've grown from this a lot just because the program wasn't, the selection process wasn't as fluid as it could have been last year because I was so new to it. But I think that this year I've gotten a lot of the kinks out of it and we have a system that's flowing so much better.
2: I love to hear that and I'm glad all the kinks are out. I know you guys began to touch on applicants and the quality of an applicant, so I really want to turn to that. What does the criteria include for being possibly considered to be part of the Institute? And what kinds of applicants are you guys looking for?
0: So we're only accepting applicants with a perfect SAT score. Uh, that's a <laughs> completely <laughs> lie. Don't worry about that. We're actually not looking Oof, for SAT scores. Oof, I would scores, not be able to apply. <laughs> ACT scores, nothing like that. It's also an open application this year. So anyone wonderful. that, anyone that yeah. wants to apply to the program can apply to it. All they, All they have to do is look it up on the website. And they have to fill out a little checklist with what they've been involved in, in high school, whether it be a job, whether it be a varsity team captain, you know, involved in the drama club, something like that. And then they also answer three essay questions. Uh, the first essay question is based around adversity and how they overcame it. The second really talks about why they want to join the Institute, because we really want to know what interests them in doing it, and also what they want to get out of the program. And the third question involves working on a team and what their typical role is. One thing about that, though, is we don't want to always just hear that you're the leader, leader, leader for everything, because what Moji and I have learned from our past three years here is that anyone can be a leader regardless of your role in a team. You don't have to be the head honcho. You don't have to be the one calling all the shots. You can be the one in the background listening, helping out, doing your part, but contributing in other ways. So you don't always have to be that person at the tip top. You can be someone who's, you know, lesser down in the ranks, but also is equally important, uh, as equally important uh, to the project as anyone else.
1: Yeah, and so our motto in the Institute is we make leaders better. So a big part of what we're looking for in our applicants is students who are already leaders, Um, and you can be a leader in any way, shape, or form. You can be the captain of your varsity team, but you can also just be a manager at your place of work. There's leadership in your everyday activities, even just babysitting your siblings. If you write about something like that in your essay, we love to see that. I love to take a holistic review, just like undergraduate admissions as a whole takes a holistic review on applicants. And so we're just looking for students who are leaders who have a desire to grow. That's what I like to highlight is the desire to grow. No one came in, no one graduated high school as a perfect person. No one came into college as a perfect person. I've been here for like three years now and I'm still not perfect. So we want to find people who are willing and wanting to grow in their leadership abilities and in their whole being.
2: I really appreciate that point because I was just reading a quote the other day, Satya Ndala from Microsoft, and he was talking about how much he speaks and how much he listens in a meeting. And he actually rated it as 70% listening and 30% actually speaking. And he's the CEO. So as a leader, you don't always have to just lead, but you also need to listen to your team. And, you know, that goes back to like how you guys have been working with the team to, you know, make the process easier as well. To any interviewees listening out there, do you have any do's and don'ts or, or what you've seen makes some of the best? members of the institute,
0: from some of the better students in the institute? So from being involved with the interview process for the past three years, there are a lot of do's and don'ts for interviewing. Number one for don'ts, don't read off a script that you have on the side of the screen because a lot of these interviews, like I said, are virtual. And so it's easy to get away with that kind of stuff, you know, like it would have been for taking a test or something like that. But when we're looking at you the entire time and trying to take note of how you act and your demeanor and all that kind of stuff. It's really easy to see if you're just blatantly reading something. So have some points in your mind that you want to talk about or have some small points set aside that you can read, but don't just read from a piece of paper because that's really annoying and doesn't show that you have a lot of interest in our program or just want to have a casual conversation, which is what we're which is what we trying to get these interviews to be. Some do's is go in there knowing what the Business Leadership Institute is. We don't want to hear that I joined it because, or I signed up for it because I thought it looked really cool because I saw like the word one time. You know, we want to see that you've understood what the Institute's all about, that you're willing to be a part of it. We also want to see confidence in the way that you speak. Obviously, you're talking to someone new, and that's a little bit nerve wracking sometimes. I know I didn't have to interview, thankfully, to get into the Institute because if I interviewed, I probably would have cried the entire time. We want you to be able to. Hold a conversation, but also explain yourself, whether it be a question that we set out right away or just building off a topic that you've talked about previously. If you can't really explain your past leadership experiences or working with a team, then you may not be the best fit for the Institute just because we want to see that you've experienced with these past problems. We also want to hear not just about your triumphs, but also about your failures. Because every leader, like Moji was saying, no one here is perfect. Every leader is going to have their ups and their downs. So definitely try and mention the pros and the cons of your whole experience, but also talk about how you bettered yourself after those cons or how that changed you in a positive way.
2: Great. And you know, moving on with our own casual conversation, I want to do a little rapid fire, you know on the topic of interviewees. So what I'll do is I'm gonna list two qualities, and I'll say this or that. and I want you guys in your you know gut reaction to pick the quality you guys prefer. In an applicant. I always love to see this, you know, because people have different views on leadership. So it's always good to see like-mindedness or a uh, difference of opinion, which is always good. The first one, reserved or outspoken?
1: Outspoken. Outspoken.
2: Speaker or listener? Listener. Speaker.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Okay.
2: You want to talk about it? <laughs>
1: okay. So in an applicant, I like to see someone who's a speaker Just because for me, like, again, I like outspoken people. So if you're outspoken, I like to see you speak. (laughs) Especially in an interview, I can only do so much. Like, listeners are great. But I can only do, you can only be so much of a listener when I'm trying to have a conversation with you. I like someone who can speak. One of my favorite interviews that I gave last year, I think they're supposed to be like 15 minutes. We went on for like 20, 25 minutes just because we kept shooting the shots. And it was really, really nice to talk to her. And someone who can and a good speaker exudes confidence for me.
0: I agree with that, but I also think that it's really important to be a listener in a lot of settings. you know like I was saying before, you don't need to be the cream of, like you know don't need to be like the like the tip top guy every single time you can be someone who takes you know a seat and listens to what's happening so that you get a better feel of how to implement your words or actions moving forward. I know that in a team setting I may be outspoken. You know, in like my personal life, but in a team setting, whether I'm working collaborating in environment or at work or whatnot, I'm not the most outspoken person there because there are a lot of different personalities. There are a lot of different people with different thoughts and ideas, and I don't want to really step on anyone's tone. So I know that I'm still a good leader, even though I act more as a listener. But if you're more of a speaker, like what Moji prefers, definitely you still have a fantastic role in a team setting. So.
2: Someone who is extremely proficient at following the rules, or someone who willingly goes out of the box?
1: Willingly goes out of the box. Willingly goes out of the box, yeah. With reason. Correct. To an extent. Yes.
2: Someone who is self-aware, or unapologetically themselves. Self-aware. Someone who is bluntly honest, or someone who knows how to soften the blow to properly deliver criticism.
1: Bluntly honest.
0: I was also going to say bluntly honest, just because I feel like I'm a very bluntly honest person. And I would like to be told straight up what I was doing right or wrong. And a leader who tries to sugarcoat it and try to deliver it in a different way because they may be afraid of hurting someone's feelings may not get the point across to that person. And I think that could be more detrimental to a team.
1: Yes, yeah, same. I prefer blunt honesty, especially when it comes to critiques, because, again, it's like a critique, not a criticism. So, yes, we'll be bluntly honest, but you'll give me steps on how to be better. That's something and being blunt honesty is what helped me become the leader that I am now.
2: So we unfortunately do not have too much more time. So I wanted to ask one last question, which could also be, you know, part of your closing remarks as well. A lot of universities have different philosophies and they offer different resources. So no matter, you know, who someone chooses to go pursue their next four years of education, there is a lot of opportunity everywhere. If you could talk to the people out there or talk to your old self on why Seton Hall or why the Busino Leadership Institute, what would you say?
1: I love Seton Hall because Seton Hall loves loves me back. back. That's from an admissions promo that we hear on loop every day. But regardless of that, I love like I like Seton Hall. I actually like it more than I thought I did coming into it. I mostly just came to Seton Hall because I was like, oh, my brother went here. He had a good time. It's great. But like I said about the Institute, and this goes for any school that you go to. You get what you put into it. I managed to put my whole foot into Seton Hall, and I'm getting a lot out of it. And so I would tell younger me, you're going to shine wherever you go. Just put everything into it. And I would tell senior year high school Moji, you're making the right choice by applying to Seton Hall, by applying to the Leadership Institute. And I would tell her to really reap all the benefits you can everywhere you go. That's some really good advice that one faculty member gave me was to exhaust your resources anywhere you go. And luckily, I've been able to make the most of my resources here.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I would say to take advantage of whatever the university offers as well, because Leadership Institute is a four year program. It's free for any Seton Hall student to want to get involved in. If you don't want to be involved in it after your first year, you can drop out and that's totally okay. It's not going to affect your GPA. It's not going to affect your academic standing. We're not going to look at you in a different way you can't do it because of work or personal reasons, again, totally fine. But if you want to get involved in it, it's really hard to get involved after your first year here. We do have some sophomore applicants, but it's really hard to get involved as a junior senior if almost impossible for most people. So I would say to my freshman year self, good job on, you know, applying. Take advantage of it a little bit more if you want to. Even starting freshman year, we have a lot of different initiatives involved with the Leadership Institute As for Seton Hall, it's a fantastic school. I mean, I'm probably biased in saying this because I am a tour guide and, you know, we have to love (laughs) Seton Hall in order to be tour guides, but it's a great school with a lot of opportunities. It may be a small campus, but we have a really big heart and we have really big resources here. And it's also super close to New York City. That's the shameless plug, but I go there twice a month. So very affordable, very fun. And Seton Hall overall, just a fantastic school. And I'm very, very happy with my choice.
2: I love it. I can hear the passion through your voice, screaming. And I want to thank you guys for joining us today. I know you both have really busy schedules, so thank you very much. And until the next episode of the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, this is Rishi Shah signing off.
1: On behalf of everyone at the Vecita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU, for allowing us to use their facilities, and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership, on Instagram at Vecino Leaders, and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.